I think that's part of the reason we all need communities, because when we don't have our verses memorized, we stand in the back and somebody else does. So that's, that's why we need community, so that we can lean on other people who know the verses better than us. So great picture of that. I always get excited to hear little voices saying big, big truth. Uh, so it's, it's it, I don't know, it gets me, ah, yeah. So anyways, uh, this Sunday is the third Sunday of our Advent series, and we, uh, we started talking, sorry, don't want to burn this up. First Sunday we talked about hope and how it is more powerful than, than the than worry, and, and I know for some of us we all can have exchange PhDs in worry. We are professional worriers, and how hope is more powerful, the constant understanding of this confident expectation in what Christ has done, uh, what he sealed up in the past guarantees for us in the future, and hope being more powerful than worry. And then last week talking about peace in a world that is anxious and fearful, and how fear and anxiety do drive most of our lives, and they're beasts to dethrone, if you will, but the value and the power of the peace of Christ ruling our hearts. And this Sunday, as we're continuing discussing in this season of Advent, the arrival of Christ Jesus as a baby, but also looking to His return, head-on confronts despair. And obviously we live in a day and a time that is despairing in many ways, closing up shop and shutting down, How does the arrival of Christ, how does the anticipation of baby Jesus, but also the anticipation of Christ the King returning, head off and destroy the grip of despair in our lives? And so I have always been a huge fan of people who are creative enough that they can take gospel and scripture truth and tell stories that help me understand it deeper. And one of my favorite stories that's written in that vein is The Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. And I want to encourage you, this book, it was written 400 some odd years ago, so find an updated copy of it. But it's an amazing journey of a man named Christian, and his names for people aren't very creative, but they're very practical. They help you understand what they do in the life of a Christ follower. So if you've never read The Pilgrim's Progress, just want to challenge you, get it for Christmas. Get an uh, updated edition, read it, and your kids will love it, you'll love it, but it'll give pictures to the life that you may be journeying as a Christian. But Christian, this man, finds this book, and he opens this book, and this book tells of this coming destruction, and it actually sends Christian into despair. Like he's in this nosedive into despair and he just becomes overwhelmed with grief and weeping. And he actually gets to a point where he goes back to his house and his kids are like, Dad, we don't like you like this. Go to your room. Uh, His wife is like, this is ridiculous. You're weeping and despairing. Just get away from us. And it actually sends him out on a journey and he meets this man named Evangelist. I told you his names aren't very creative, but his name is Evangelist. And he says, I know about that book. And I know what that book says, and you need to head to the gate. And so he sends him off on a journey. Well, Christian, walking very early in this journey, comes upon what is called the slough of despond. And I picture it like the bog of eternal stench. Some of you know that phrase, smell bad. You know, that movie. If you don't know it, it's okay. No, it is not okay. You should know what the bog of eternal stench is. So, but anyways. Um, 
But it's this place that is described by, by the author as a place where that feeling, you, you know, when, when you encounter the holy God, this God who is bigger, grander, greater than us, and he's not like us, he's other, he's different, when we as his creation encounter him, there can be this sense and this feeling of whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's a good place to start, but if we're not careful, it will lead us to despair because we realize we aren't good enough, we're bad, we're not, along, we're not as far along as we want to be, we're all these different things, and we can fall into this funk, if you will. And in this instance, the slough of despond is this place where all of that despairing, before you understand the good news, lands. And so it's a nasty place. And so on this journey, he steps into this slough and just begins to sink. And he begins to, woe is me, I'm not this, I'm not that. And a man named Help, told you his names are not very creative, comes along, sticks his hand out, and pulls him out of the slough. He's like, what is going on? Why are you in here? He says, I don't know, I was told about, I read this book, and this man, he sent me on this journey towards this gate, and I fell in this, this thing, and... He's like, did you not see the stairs that go right next to this? And he said, I was so despairing that I did not see it. This is what despair does. Despair causes us to go this way. We can't see that there's a tomorrow. We can't see that there's something next. Despair is defined as complete loss or absence of hope or confidence. And we live in a day that you probably feel the effects of despairing people. Maybe you, if you were willing to admit and you would take off the mask for a moment, find yourself despairing. We live in a world where despair and reason for despair is everywhere. But this morning, I hope to, by the proclamation, the the, the declaration of what Christ has done, we can see that joy, the joy that the Lord himself gives his people because of himself would cause us to go, I don't despair. And I don't have to despair, not because of anything I can do or say, but because of everything that Christ has done. Despair is dealt with head on during this season of Advent. In fact, the people of God are actually given great reason to rejoice. If there were any people on the planet that needed a reason or a reminder that they were to be joyful, it was the people of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. See, we talked about it, they talked about it in Flintstones. In the Old Testament, there were people who came and declared messages from the Lord. Messages of warning, messages of blessing, message of return. But for 300 years, there was silence. Nothing. No words from God. No messengers to speak of his faithfulness or his, or his reminders. I can almost guarantee that the words, God, are you even there, were spoken by these people who were the promised people of God. And the Bible says that at just the right time, God sent Jesus. God was not late. He was not early. But according to his timetable, In the sending of the one who would bring rescue to his people, he was right on time. And the description goes this way, and he reveals this this announcement to an unlikely bunch. In Luke chapter 2, you're familiar with this. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. 
they were terrified. Now, this is just a side note. Angels are not chubby babies in diapers that float around with bow and arrows. The reason I know that is because the Bible says every time one shows up, people hit the ground, sometimes dead because of how powerful and how awesome these messengers were. And nine times out of ten, the, phrase, the first phrase that comes out of an angel's mouth is, don't be terrified. First thing that comes out of my mouth is, why not? You got a sword and stuff and big old angel wings and I don't know. So please understand, angels were warriors, messengers of a very powerful God, not to be confused with Cupid and his whatever he's got. So they were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. It is the presence of Christ that was going to bring great joy. And last week we talked about it. This, this whole process, it's not pro, there's not a process to peace. It's the person. Peace is a person. Joy is a person. Hope is a person. And next week as we talk about and close our Advent series, love is a person that shows up and changes everything. The psalmist put it this way, Psalm 9-2, I will be filled with joy because of you. Psalm 34, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Psalm 43, there I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. The amazing picture here in the scriptures is that God is not in the business of you just coming and going, hey, I need some joy, can you give me some? Here you go. Hey, I need some joy. Can you give me some? Here you go. He's not divvying out joy. He's not just going, here, have some joy, have some joy, have some joy. He himself is our joy. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the struggle. Right now, we're all reading these psalmist words with frustration. We're going, but I don't, but I don't, I don't feel that joy when I'm in his presence. That's because our hearts are divided. The sinful nature causes us to go, I think there's something else that will cause me greater joy than the presence of the Lord. So let's fill in the blank. Jesus, if I have you and safety, I can have joy. Jesus, if I can have you and comfort, I can have joy. Jesus, if I can have the perfect this, that, and the other, I can have joy. The problem is that this, that, and the other, not Jesus, is your Lord. That is what you're thinking and will cause you more joy than God himself will give you. This is what sin does. It divides our interests and our hearts. So what we have to understand is when the Lord is saying, I will give you greater joy in my presence. He's not saying, here, my presence, with a T, will give you more joy than my presence. This is a very difficult thing for us to understand is because he's saying, I created nothing to give you more joy than me. That's what God is saying. Any created thing on this earth, I did not give you to replace me. The introduction we are seeing here to joy is a person, not things or stuff or a process. And so when you and I feel the weight of all of those things failing us, because they do, right? We think we have security, it slips out. We think we have comfort, it goes away. We think we have all that we need, and somehow a bill comes up, the month ends, and we've got nothing, and we're freaking out. And when we feel the weight of those things causing us to despair, 
we're reminded of Christ's faithfulness. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, Grief for sin is the porch of the house beautiful where the guests are full of the joy of the Lord. Unlike Christian in the, in the, the slough of despond, we're not like this. But we remember these things weren't given to us to give us the greatest joy. God himself said, I'm sending you Emmanuel. We know what that means, right? God with us. So my question is, why is it the most common Christian prayer that I hear is, God, we're just asking you to be with us. He's like, duh. I am. It's my name. You just need to be reminded that I am with you. So we always, we say these things, and it's like, I feel like we're kind of going, God, I don't necessarily know if you are, but my name is Emmanuel. I named myself that so that you would know that I am with you. You guys just forget. Jason, you forget that I'm with you. It becomes an invitation to say, God, please remind me that you are with me. Your presence gives me more joy than anything else on this earth. Psalm 100 says it this way. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. And his faithfulness continues to each generation. Our greatest source of joy is to know that God is God. Do you know that? That's what the psalmist is saying right here. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. Why is that good news? It's because we keep running to things that we think are God. We think will give us the fullness of joy that is only found in God. And God has revealed himself through his word to us so that we will have joy. He's revealed himself. He said, I'm him. Stop going everywhere else. Look at me. Those things that you want, that stuff that you're going after that's causing you to backbite and kill and hurt and steal and destroy. When you look at me, you have all that you need. You have everything you need in my presence, which causes us to rejoice, to shout with joy. In Psalm 16, I know the Lord is always with me. There it is, presence. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave me, my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. It's presence. It's His presence shaping us, changing us, waking us up to joy. And this is the mystery, in my opinion, of the, of the universe. It's God's kingdom is not built on what we have. God's kingdom is built on who we have. I think we try and think we're building with stuff, but the reality is it's a person who has invited us into His kingdom through His Son, through His life, death, and resurrection, we have access to the kingdom. The kingdom is built on who we have, not what we have. John Wesley, one of my favorite uh, writers, and he's just a theologian and just a thinker, songwriter. He does all this stuff. But one day he came downstairs in his house and he was just really moody and just kind of short with his family. Just kind of whiny. And, just, and his wife 
in her brilliance, saw what was going on, and she went upstairs, and she put on a black dress. She came downstairs, found some black sheets, and started throwing black sheets over everything, over the windows, and, and uh, John Wesley looks at her and says, uh, who died? And she said, well, didn't you hear? God did. And he said, uh, he most certainly did not. And she looks back at him and says, then stop acting like it. I was like, boom, that's like hashtag thug life glasses right there on John Wesley's wife right there. Best thug life I've ever seen. Um, But that's the beauty of what joy does. Joy doesn't just keep us sitting and we're just joyful in our, you know, cross leg position sitting down. Joy expresses itself on the outside. And what's amazing is the Lord gives these instructions for this party in Leviticus. And, and it's this party, it's this festival to remember, and it's for the Feast of Shelters. And I don't have time to talk about what the Feast of Shelters is. It is a beautiful picture during this season of Advent. Look it up, do some study on it. I mean, Jesus coming, showing up, uh, camping among us, uh, pitching his tent among us. This Feast of Shelters points to the coming Messiah. Don't have a lot of time, but look it up. In Leviticus, these are the instructions they're given. In, verse, in chapter 23, Remember that this seven-day festival to the Lord, the festival of shelters, begins on the 15th day of the appointed month, after you have harvested all the produce of the land. The first day and the eighth day of the festival will be days of complete rest. On the first day, gather branches from magnificent trees, palm fronds, bows from leafy trees, and willows that grow by the streams. Then... Celebrate with joy before the Lord your God for seven days. Did you hear that? That the Lord was throwing a party that was going to be so big that you're going to need a day of sleep before you get to the celebration. And then you celebrate so hard that on the last day, he's like, you're going to need to call in and take a day of sleep for that as well. I don't think we understand this type of celebration. This celebration was not built on rules and customs and things and stuff, but it was built on the faithfulness of God, His rescue, His pulling them out, His grace poured out upon them, walking them through difficulty. And they were to celebrate that so hard that they needed a nap before and a nap after. The joy of the Lord expresses itself. And this is where I meet a lot of Christians who say, Well, I'm joyful in my heart. Well, your heart and your face need to talk, man. <laughs> but then they're like, but this is their, this is their response. Well, I just, I don't want to be fake. I don't want to be plastic. I don't What? Give me a second. I want to show you some pictures because this baffles me. Do you think they're faking this? Do you think anyone told them, um, you're faking your allegiance to your sports ball team? And you, you can keep going. Just look, I mean, these guys, they probably had to be told to stop. I mean, these are grown people. This, this next one, this last one is my favorite because I am a grown man. And I will paint myself purple and I will wear pigtails. This isn't faked. This is real. This is what was inside the heart showing up on the outside. The Christian's joy is not 
faked. It does not mean to be coerced. Yes, we need to be reminded of all that Christ has given us, but there is something in us that shows up on the outside. This is the mystery of the gospel. Everything that God does, he starts on the inside and it shows up on the outside in the life of a believer. Paul wrote about it in this way in 2 Corinthians. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. So there's the admittance, Christ inside, I don't feel so good, I'm aging, I'm not as pretty as I used to be, I don't do this well, I don't want, everything is fading, yes, we get that, but there's something in us that's shining, that's exploding, that's coming out, and so we see, that keeps coming, this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned. There it is, the presence of God. We get knocked down, but we get up again. We're never going to keep you down. We, I'm just kidding. But we are not destroyed. Chumbawamba stole those lyrics. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. The beauty of the gospel is it's inside out. It shows up. There was a woman, the very, one of the first retreats that I ever got to go on as a teenager. Um, there was a woman who's about 80 years old who was responsible for like cooking for 30 of us. And she was responsible for the kitchen and the dining room area. And the, the, the speaker was talk, talking about this subject. And she got up after he spoke and everybody was like, whoa, what is she going to say? You know, this lady who's like this saint, servant saint. I mean, like you were like, whoa, you got, got around her. And she says to everyone, she says, we are all broken vessels for the Lord. And I just want people to see Jesus through my crack. Some of you are as immature as I am. You got it. You started to laugh. That's what I did. I busted out laughing. But the reality was, she had no clue what she was saying. She didn't care about any of my potty humor that I thought was funny. She understood that there was something that went on inside that affected how she lived on the outside. And the whole week, we saw this woman busting it in the kitchen, in the dining room, hugging kids that were making the messes in her kitchen and in her dining room, loving them, encouraging them to follow Jesus. It was this beautiful picture of the inside-out joy of the Lord. William Barclay put it this way, Men need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian faith. In a worried world, the Christian should be the only man who remains serene. In a depressed world, the Christian should be the only man who remains full of the joy of life. The Christ follower has the joy of knowing that they have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ's accomplished work. That's joy. The Christ follower has the joy of knowing that they belong to God. Literally, in Christ, we are hidden in Him. Elephant pants or no elephant pants, you are His. That's joy. And the Christ follower has the joy of knowing that the longings that we have for Eden now eventually will come because of Christ's return. The heartache that we feel at the oppression and the evil and the sin and the death, it will come to an end. And there will be a righteous king who rules and his people will celebrate with joy before him. Christ follower, this is the joy 
of the Lord. You and I are not people who are crushed to despair. Reality does happen. Life does happen. But we are invited to remain in His presence and He fills us with joy. In a know-it-all world, a world that thinks they have everything figured out, the peculiar person, the Christian, will cause head-scratching. It just happens. It's not fake. It's not forced. It's the reality of Christ's work that shapes us, changes us, and causes the smart Alex and the know-it-alls to go, I don't get you. This is the joy of the Lord. This morning as we close and our children lead us, you're going to see these children, you know, wandering around, hitting each other with shepherd staffs and poking each other with stars and things. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, your joy shall be God's missionary. Your joy shall be God's missionary. In a way, as we are a part of this story, as these kids march around in this room, the joy that shows and comes off of them just because they're marching around will cause us to go, man, God is awesome. And in the same way, all we're really doing is just marching around out there, right? Right? I mean, if you need to see yourself in a star costume walking around out in downtown Asheville to bring your face to a smile, to, re- to kind of be connected to your heart full of joy, march around with a star on, man. <laughs> but it is the joy of the Lord that causes us as a people to not despair in despairing times. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I just ask that in these times... As we consider your words, as we consider the the scripture, as we consider the story of Jesus, that, Lord, we would not be people who despair. We would know that reality is real and the circumstances we are facing are present, but you are more present. You know us, you walk with us, you go before us. Lord, you dwell in us. And I just ask for those continual reminders for your people that the joy of the Lord truly would be our strength. It's in your name we pray. Amen.